1: Remember what you said you return that I might live in my father's
2: house. So as the bishop or overseer of our souls, he protects us from the onslaughts of the enemy and he keeps us and guides us step by step in his perfect will. And so anyway, the true believer may rest in the protection of the Lord's love and care, knowing He will, his love will never fail us. That complete work of God's redemption.
0: When you became a Christian, you became a representative of Christ, and that puts a target on your back. Satan knows that you are a servant of Christ, and he'll stop at nothing to destroy you. But does Jesus leave us alone to fend for ourselves? No. Jesus is our great protector. He sends us out to do the work of his kingdom, giving us full confidence that he will protect us and guide us as we go through all the earth to make disciples. Would a good shepherd lead his sheep into harm's way? Never. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 as he continues his message, The Redeemed of God.
1: Remember <laughs>
2: let's go back to our text. Notice there in verse 24, there we are told that we having died to sins might live for righteousness. Now, what are we talking about here? And what does this word righteousness suggest to us? Well, it's more than just simply refraining from evil, although it certainly includes that, but it is to become a participator in divine acts of well-doing which flow from the Christ nature that is within us, that is, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God. That conscious daily choice to follow Christ and to do His will. You know, Paul put it this way, addressing this subject in the book of Colossians in chapter 2 and verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. You see, we are no longer to live for self but rather to live for Jesus. We are to put away the old man, the old habits, our old lusts, in order to carry out God's will in doing all that is good. And listen, this is not a burden, it's a joy. We owe him a delightful debt that we can never repay, right? But it springs from our gratitude, our appreciation, our understanding of what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if we've truly been to Calvary's cross, we'll be impassioned to do the work of sharing the gospel. So that begs the question, are we living unto righteousness? Listen, the world needs Jesus. And therefore, there should be nothing more important to a believer you and me, than getting the good news to those who need salvation, and yet those who have never heard of it. So that's the purpose of redemption. Now that brings us to our third and final aspect as we address this subject, and that is, let's talk about the provision of redemption. So that's our third point, the provision of redemption. Now, as the result of the sacrificial work, of Jesus at Calvary, God has provided salvation, restoration, and preservation. Notice there in verse 24, let's go back there in verse 24, the latter part of it, and there we are told, by whose stripes you were healed. By that broken body of Jesus Christ, provision has been made for the healing, not only of our bodies, but also of our spirits. Our souls, you see, that is for those who have received him. There's provision for healing in every aspect of men. In the book of Isaiah, uh, we're told exactly this. In chapter 53, in verses 4 and 5, one of the more familiar texts of scripture, a messianic uh, text concerning Jesus, a prophecy In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now notice also, let's go back to our text, Peter goes on to declare in the first part of verse 25 of our text this evening, notice, let's read that uh, once again, for you are like sheep who were going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd. That is the shepherd of our souls. And so that's the way that Jesus is presented to us here in this text. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls. So, we, being sinful by nature, we wandered away from God. Uh, that's the picture that's being painted here for us, like distracted sheep. We were without love and concern for God. But nevertheless, by His grace, He sought us out, and by His love, we didn't do anything that would warrant it. Uh, that would warrant Him seeking us out. But nevertheless, simply by His grace and love, He sought us out. He drew us unto himself. He redeemed us and placed us into his family as one of his children. Paul puts it this way in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2 in verse 1. And you hath he quickened, that word quickened in the Greek can literally be translated made alive. So you he has made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. In other words, in that state, we didn't even have an aptitude for God. We were unconcerned concerned about the things of God, spiritual things. But nevertheless, God sought us out, and he's made us alive. But notice here, according to our text, there's more uh, than that. Not only is Jesus the shepherd, but he is also the overseer or the bishop of our souls as well. Okay, so, as the shepherd, he tenderly cares for his sheep, feeding... Uh, and nurturing us throughout life. But now here, notice the reference to his being the overseer or the bishop of our souls. It means protector or guardian. So as the bishop or overseer of our souls, he protects us from the onslaughts of the enemy. And he keeps us and guides us step by step in his perfect will. And so anyway, the true believer may rest in the protection of the Lord's love and care, knowing he will, His love will never fail us. That complete work of God's redemption. Now we move into chapter 3. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, in other words, if you're married to an unbeliever, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of, of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear or respect, that word chaste can also be translated purity, so by your purity and your respect uh, towards your uh, husband, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. We have been considering, with Peter's help, the Christian's responsibility in relationship to government and state, that is, our citizenship. But then also, we've been talking about the believer's responsibility at the workplace, that is, coming alongside and helping our employers to reach their objectives. And so, over the last couple of weeks, we've been receiving a good dose of real, practical Christianity. Now, the next portrait that Peter paints is that of the Christian in their home and their God-given obligations. And notice he first, Peter that is, zeroes in on women here, specifically married women. But listen, there's more to this message than that than just addressing married women who are uh, married to unbelievers. Because in this discourse, we also discover the marvelous principles that enable us to win others for uh, Christ. But nevertheless, Peter here is addressing married women who have recently given their lives to Christ, but who were greatly disturbed, as to what they were to do about their unbelieving husbands who had become bitter and cruel because of their new found faith in Jesus Christ. So, the question, what should a Christian wife do if her husband is antagonistic towards the gospel? Should she leave him? Should she go and find a new environment to live in which is more conducive to growth in grace? Well, gang, the answer to those questions are absolutely no. You see, let the believing wife, and this is constantly uh, encouraged throughout the scriptures, let the believing wife stay where she is and so convincingly live the gospel that her unbelieving mate, her husband, will ultimately cry out, What must I do to be saved? You see, the woman is God's vantage point. To reach the unbelieving husband. The husband, yes, might be an unbeliever of the worst sort. He might be bitter. He might be inconsiderate. But the wife is exhorted to stay with him. And as I mentioned, that becomes God's uh, vantage point uh, to reach him. Let me give you a cross reference for this. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, in verse 13, and you might want to read that entire. A portion of scripture there in 1 Corinthians and chapter 7 in context. But there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 13, we are told, And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, an unbeliever, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Okay, and obviously there are exceptions uh, to this. That is, if the unbelieving husband becomes abusive Uh, to his wife, either verbally or physically. Well, then, of course, she's not under any obligation to stay in that particular dangerous situation. But nevertheless, women, I am telling you, it is possible for you, by your commitment to Christ and your perseverance, to get a new kind of a husband, transformed by the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. You see, if the Christian is willing to meet the conditions that God presents in the scriptures, God promises that the unsaved husband or loved one, remember I said there's a wider application to this uh, teaching, so God promises that the unsaved husband or loved one, whoever that might be, it might be another member of your immediate family, it might be a friend or uh, another Uh, a relative or someone that you uh, work with at your workplace, they will come to Christ. It may not be until they lie in agony on their deathbed, but nevertheless, God promises that they will come. Now, if the believing wife is to be effective for Jesus, it is very important that she be in subjection to her husband. Now, what does that look like? What are we talking about? The word subjection. Well, let me give you a working basic definition of what I'm referring to. The word subjection or submission means adapting as far as her conscience permits and God's word allows. That is to our husband's desires and demands. Okay? So there are certain limitations, yes. But if wives simply obeyed this truth, divorce courts could be a lot less crowded. Let me give you a cross-reference in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. That is, as your husband is submitted to uh, Christ. Listen, gang, thousands of homes have become nothing more than uh, centers of marital confusion and disorder. Why? Because wives have assumed unwarranted authority instead of submitting patiently to their husbands, as they are encouraged to do in the scriptures. Those husbands whose duty it is under God to oversee the affairs of the family. That isn't a perfect world, right? But that's where we're trying to bring our husbands to, right? To bring them to that place where they're believers, where they will accept that responsibility, that God-given responsibility that they will oversee all of the affairs of the family, what's best for the family, in honoring God. But notice also Peter states there in verse 1, go back to our text, the submission is to be to your own husbands. The idea here is, and I think where Peter is getting at, you know, it is not uncommon to see Christian women showing more respect and courtesy to others of the opposite sex than to their own husbands. They are genial and gracious outside the home, but how different inside the home. And listen, this kind of practice uh, on uh, the woman's side will only hinder the unsaved husband from believing and will render them more adamant. And so may God teach us submission. Now, let's go back to our text. Notice also, in addition to sincere love and respect for one's husband there must also be a holiness of life that will convince and will convict. Listen, people are one uh, for Christ, not by telling, but rather by showing in the things that we do, in the way that we demonstrate our Christianity. It's not by preaching and nagging that people come to Jesus, but rather by praying and living our Christianity. Notice what it says there. Go back to verse 1, the latter part of verse 1. They, without a word, the unbelieving husband, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct or the manner of living of their wives. You know, there's this saying, I wish I had said it, but I hadn't, so I'm just kind of quoting it, and it goes like this, A wife who has good horse sense never becomes a nag. (laughs) A good uh, word of advice. I mean, annoying him, being argumentative, places, placing tracks in his lunchbox. gang. it's not going to get the job done. Peter says here, your best approach is without the word. Notice there in verse 3. And this is not a reference to the gospel. The definite article, the, is not in the original manuscripts. So then literally it reads, without a word. So listen, if you know the gospel irritates your husband, be quiet and just simply live it. You know, there's this story that I think fits nicely here. It's about a man who was brought before a judge for abandoning his wife and was receiving a thorough scolding from the judge. And the man endured it patiently and then mustered up enough courage to reply, Judge, if you knew that woman like I do, you wouldn't call me a deserter. You would rather understand that I am a refugee. Gang, don't make your present presence uncomfortable for other people, because it's all about our conversation. It's all about our conduct, our manner of living. Holiness, coupled together with reverence, respect, in honor. And listen, no one can offer a better argument for Christianity than that which can be seen in a Christian wife, glorifying the Lord in a life of holiness and loving respect for her own husband. An unsaved husband cannot resist the persuasion of Christianity when seen in a chaste manner of life and the respectful demeanor of his wife. Gang, that's True beauty. In contrast to what Peter, notice there in verse 3, he exhorts the women do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So gain true beauty is much more than an outward appearance. That's beauty. Consecrated, godly uh, women who possess a meek and gentle spirit. But you know what? This applies to all of us. And this is the way that we're going to reach other people for Jesus, that these virtues might be present within each and every one of us. Now, let me also add, you single women, I want to take some time out to address our single women, Save yourself a lot of trouble and grief, and don't marry an unbeliever. Because if you do, think about this, your goals, your visions, your desires will be different. The love that you share will be different. Because, you know, the love that God puts in the heart of a husband for his wife is somewhat of the supernatural uh, sort. And he's not going to be able to love you with that agape love, the love of of God himself. He puts that love within the heart of a husband. And uh, so you're not going to be loved the way that God wants you to be loved, as God planned for you to be loved. So do yourself a favor and don't marry an unbeliever. And then you know, think about the whole issue of how you're going to raise your children if your husband is an unbeliever. He, He will probably take exception to you Uh, being a member of a church, or bringing your children to church, or, or studying the Bible. So these are all things that we need to consider well enough in advance when we allow our emotions to get the best of us and enter into a relationship with an unbelieving person. Make sure Mr. Right is Mr. Right, a godly, mature man. As the scripture warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. And so, yes, you can have a new husband, ladies. You can win that loved one to Christ. That is, if you're willing to pay the price. Get serious about it. Spend time in prayer each day, praying for your unsaved husband. Meet the conditions outlined here in the word by God. Remember, we are God's messengers to a husband, to a world around us. Not a messenger in the sense of a preacher, but a messenger of thoughtfulness and kindness whom the Holy Spirit will use to draw the unsaved to Jesus. So, here's the question. Is our life what it should be? Are we really an example of believers in love, faith, and purity? Do people see the glory of Christ In us and through us. Or are we a turn off? Gang, if we've been a failure up until this point, in these areas, just simply turn them over to God. Surrender yourself unto Him. And see what God can do for you. In spite of
1: you. In my Father's house There's a place for me House, where I to
0: be. Oh, my Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of First Peter together with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that faith can be just plain hard, especially in a world that tries to pull you in so many different directions. The apostle Peter understood this, and so he wrote to remind believers to remain steadfast in their faith. God is faithful to meet you right where you're at, so lean into Him and trust in who He is. If you'd like to hear today's message again, just visit HarvestNYC.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, HarvestNYC.org. Again, that's HarvestNYC.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at HarvestNYC at Verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We love seeing how God is using His Word in incredibly powerful ways. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of 1 Peter next time, right here on In My Father's House.
1: Oh